Welcome to the Film Trooper Podcast with your host, Scott McMahon. Hi, and welcome to the Film Trooper Podcast, filmmaking freedom for the independent. This is a podcast where we focus on making and selling your film for online self-distribution. A perfect way to get started is to pick up the book, How to Make and Sell Your Film Online and Survive the Hollywood Implosion, while doing it. It's available as a paperback, in Kindle ebook, as well as an audiobook. In fact, you can get the audiobook for free when you go to survivetheimplosion.com. When you go to that link, you can sign up with Audible for their free trial and get the book for free. Again, that's at survivetheimplosion.com. The topic of today's episode is 10 ways to improve your luck as a filmmaker. So I guess the first question remains is, does luck really exist? Being a podcaster myself, I'm also a podcast fan. So one of my favorite podcast shows is Star Talk Radio with astrophysicist and Hayden Planetarium director Neil deGrasse Tyson. Now, the Star Talk brand just launched a new podcast series called Playing with Science, which they explore the science behind the most iconic moments in sports history. So for the first episode, they focused on the science of the Immaculate Reception. And if you're not familiar with this iconic moment in American football history, well, it would appear that a lot of luck was part of it. So this is what happened uh, during the Immaculate Reception. It was 1972, the AFC Divisional Playoff game between the Oakland Raiders and the Pittsburgh Steelers. Pittsburgh Steelers, sorry about that. The Pittsburgh Steelers trailed the Oakland Raiders uh, 7-6, to six, so they're down one point. Now they were facing a 4th and 10 on their own 40-yard line with only 22 seconds left in the game, and they had no timeouts. So they were too far away to, you know, get to a field goal, uh, you know, position. I think at this point, uh, was it 60 yards away from a touchdown? So it was a, you know, a no-win situation. So the quarterback of the Steelers, Terry Bradshaw, you know, he is, the play happens. He escapes from being tackled. Then he throws down the middle of the field only to have the ball knocked up in the air, deflected backwards. Now, thinking the play was dead and it was over, the Raiders were caught off guard when the Steelers running back, Franco Harris, caught the deflection in the air and ran and scored the winning touchdown with no time left. It, so it was crazy. And th- what was important about this is that, you know, the Steelers really hadn't won anything up to this point. And um, it's a call like some like SOS or sorry, our steel. I forget what that the terminology was. But because they won this amazing game in this amazing fashion, it broke the seal for the Steelers because they would went, go on in the next you know few years, uh, win four Super Bowl titles and you know and solidify their dynasty in uh, football history. And there's a lot of debate whether or not Franco Harris actually did catch the ball in the air or whether or not it touched the ground. So if you're a Raiders fan, it's uh, it's painful and. Um, but if you're a Steelers fan, you know what this meant and, and, you know, like the football gods looked upon you and, you know, gave you uh, the, the gateway for four plus five plus uh, Super Bowl championships. So it was luck, right? Or was it? Now, going back to the podcast, the Playing With Science podcast, um, I wanted to ask the question, do scientists believe in luck? And you may be surprised to hear that almost all scientists interviewed say there is no such thing as luck. So if it's not luck, then what is it? Well, luck, as we come to understand it, is really the layman's term for low probability. That's right, low probability. Scientists believe that these rare circumstances are due to the low probability that it could happen. So with this understanding and this knowledge, knowledge is power, 
then we could, you know, it's tangible. We can wrap our head around the concept of probability. So it's not really luck. It's really probability. You can imagine if I put out a uh, podcast or a headline that said, here are 10 ways to increase your probability. I mean, that might not, that might work, but people, you know, would respond better if they knew like, hey, here's 10 ways to improve your luck because we understand luck. So, but if we turn on its head and look at this concept of probability, let's focus on that. So number one, it's really not luck. As you just, you heard me say, most scientists don't believe in luck. They determine it's really low probability. So the first thing to do is to embrace the understanding of probability. So the next question to ask yourself is how do I increase my probability as a filmmaker or how do I increase my probability that I will reach success as a filmmaker? Number two, you have to have a vision. If your goal is to be a famous Hollywood director, someone who has a signature vision to their films, one way to increase your probability of reaching this goal is to develop a very unique and strong vision for your films. Simply making another action or horror film won't be enough. Your work has to stand out from the crowd to say, hey, world, this is different. I am different. I have a different vision. It's unique to me and no one else. I mean, if we could take the same script and hand it over to Quentin Tarantino, Wes Anderson, Steven Spielberg, and Christopher Nolan, we'd get four very different movies. That's because each of these directors has a unique voice and visions for their films, right? So the danger for many indie filmmakers is that we're making the same type of film that Hollywood already produces, but they do it so much better because they have more resources, more talent, you know, at their disposal. To rattle the cage and to increase our probability of getting noticed, we have to develop our own unique voices and visions of the world or, you know, our vision of the world. So to increase your probability of becoming a director that Hollywood notices, develop a unique voice and vision. Again, if you're making a little no-budget film that's like a romantic comedy, um, what's the difference between, you know, what's the desirability of an audience wanting to see your film versus a Hollywood version of another, uh, of that genre? Most people, a large audience, will probably end up wanting to see some kind of fun film with some actors that they know from TV or movies. The difference is if you can offer that romantic comedy that has a twist, that has something so unique that Hollywood is not doing, that's one way to increase your probability of standing out. Just don't make the same type of genre films that Hollywood is already doing, but they're doing much better. In order, if Again, if you want to be that named Hollywood director, if you want to increase your luck, if you want to increase your probability of getting there, you really have to develop, all of us have to develop such a unique voice and style in the way that we tell uh, our stories through this film's visual medium. Number three you have to jump into the arena. So if you want to work, let's say, as an episodic streaming or TV director, nowadays, I mean, in the old days, we used to call it, if you want to work in TV, (laughs) but now it's like a new terminology called episodic streaming because with Netflix and Amazon and Hulu and, you know, HBO, it's, it's not really TV anymore, is it? It's this episodic streaming content. So if you want to work as a director, as a creative person in this field, Uh, If you trace the stories of how many directors got the job working as an episodic streaming or TV director, you'll find that many of them worked their way up through the industry, you know, but first you have to be in the arena. You have to be in that area uh, before you can even start playing the game, before you can start working your way up. 
So a lot of episodic directors were originally cinematographers, maybe working as an assistant to um, a director of photography, and they worked their way up. They proved themselves as cinematographers, and they were always working on high-level, high-profile profile shows, and they got to know the producers, the, the influencers, and had a shot at you know, directing themselves. Um, a lot of episodic directors, if you look, trace back the history, you know, where, where these people come from, they're former actors. They're actors that were working on a show um, that were lucky enough, again, lucky enough, or their low probability of getting picked to work on a show. They got picked on the show and then they were there for, you know, a couple of years. And because they, you know, developed a working relationship with the producers and the writing staff and the, um, the showrunners, they got an opportunity to direct episodes. Look at Mad Men. Several of the actors end up directing some of those episodes. If you're a fan of Star Trek Next Generation, um, the actor who played Riker, you know, went on to, to direct a lot of the episodes for Star Trek, then went on to direct the movies for Star Trek, and now he's directing other television and so on. Um, a lot of episodic directors were assistants, you know, so they started their way up. They were an assistant to a producer, assistant to a writers, things like that, just being in the arena. So they increased their probability of getting that opportunity to direct TV content. And a lot of episodic directors, you know, were actually noticed at a film festival. These are people that had a unique voice that was, again, a unique voice, uh, something that was interesting about their film that would play it at a certain festival that got noticed by the right type of people. And that person may have ended up being like representative. And once having representation as a manager or an agent, they increase their probability of getting seen for the next job to direct the next episodic show that's coming into production. To increase your probability, you need to be in the same arena where they are hiring these types of directors. And so to begin with, you may need to start working in either New York, London, or Los Angeles. And you need to be visible to the influential producers of these episodic content. You prove your worth as a talented, hardworking director of photography, as an actor on a show, or an assistant that moves up through the producing ranks, or finds representation as a director when your film performs well at one of the film festivals or during the film festival circuit. Any one of these scenarios gives you a better shot at getting hired for these high-profile episodic shows. You know, you'll actually find like indie film icons like Kevin Smith directing several episodes of The Flash, or Ryan Johnson who directed episodes of Breaking Bad. Uh, to increase your probability of becoming an episodic director, you have got to fight your way into the arena. So just keep that in mind. Ask yourself, how do I increase my probability of getting to where I want to be, which is one of these creative influencers in the landscape of epic side of uh, streaming shows or television content? Number four, do you want to change the world? Now, some of you may have dreams of making documentary films that change the world. You can increase your probability of making this change if you partner up with organizations that are already fighting for the change you want. This should be a much lower barrier of entry than trying to become a director in Hollywood. Organizations need volunteers to empower their message, so you can increase your probability by offering your talents as a filmmaker. With the organization behind you, you add leverage to desirability for your film or the film that you want to make that is in alignment with this same cause. So again, to increase your probability of becoming an impactful documentary filmmaker, you may want to partner up with those already making the change. Number five, it's not what you know. And yes, we've all heard this before. It's not what you know, but it's who you know that matters. 
And this classic saying is important because it's true. When you scratch your head and you wonder how certain people get the directing jobs over you or over another person, a lot of the time the deciding factor is because the director knew the producers better than you or better than the other guy. You can increase your probability of getting those kinds of jobs if you can get to know the right influencers. So this is network, 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 and networking is vital, but it's utterly useless if you don't deliver the goods when the time comes. There's a person that might know everybody, but they don't have this unique vision or something to offer a value to these people of influence. To increase your probability of getting hired for those dream gigs, Learn to network and build lasting relationships with the right people. Number six, before they can help you, in Hollywood, it's a given that every industry party or event, everyone is there for themselves. (laughs) Being self-absorbed is a prerequisite, you know? So it's common to boast about all the amazing projects you're working on. It's very hard to date in that town because everyone is working on building their careers. The film La La Land, I think, kind of perfectly sums up this dilemma. You can increase your probability of getting people to help you if you help them first. When everyone is completely self-absorbed in their own projects and you offer to help, you'll be a godsend. Be helpful before asking for help. So to increase your probability of having someone of influence help you, you must first help them. Number seven, don't want to work in Hollywood? You may be in a situation where you don't want to live in Los Angeles and you rather make films independently of Hollywood anyway. If that's the case, then it's important to clearly define what success means to you. Since you'll truly be independent, there are no rules on what success will look like for you. So you can increase your probability of independent success by simply changing the definition of success for your situation. And a lot of filmmakers I meet, they just simply want to be able to earn enough money to fund their next film project. And then when that film project is finished, they have enough money to make the next one, and so on and so on. So as long as you know what those stipulations are, if you're making uh, $10,000 you know, films, micro-budget films, you know, what do you need to make $10,000, $20,000 and take part of that profit to go back into your next project? And again, you heard me mention before at the beginning of this podcast, if you really want to get your head wrapped around that concept uh, of working in this truly independent space of that micro-budget level and you don't want to be in Hollywood, definitely check out the book, How to Make and Sell Your Film Online and Survive the Hollywood Implosion While Doing It. That goes into more detail about this bigger concept of what business you're really in and how to generate something on a small scale. Again, so to increase your probability of achieving independent success, clearly redefine what success means to you. Number eight. Are you too old to be an assistant? (laughs) As I mentioned earlier, if you want to achieve success in the Hollywood ranks, you may need to work your way up through the ranks as an assistant to the eventual director. Many of us are too old to start at the bottom and work our way up the ladder. So what can you do instead? Noah Oppenheim, the screenwriter for the Natalie Portman film Jackie, had this dilemma. Now, Oppenheim had a career in the unscripted television or slash reality TV space. But he wanted to work in feature films, and he knew he was too old to work his way up from an assistant, so he had to resort to another way in, and that was simply to write something. Simply put, if you want to break into the world of Hollywood, just write something. Oppenheim's first feature screenplay was Jackie, and it landed him on the blacklist, or that script on the blacklist. 
And so what is the blacklist? Well, back in 2005, Franklin Leonard surveyed almost 100 film industry development executives about their favorite scripts from that year that had not been made as feature films. This list eventually became known as the blacklist. Back to Oppenheim's story. After landing on the blacklist, he was contracted to write the Maze Runner scripts. The interesting thing about his story was here he was living his dream as a screenwriter. He had broken into the feature film, you know, market into the into that part of the industry because he had wrote something. If he had not done that, nothing would have happened. Here he was doing script doctoring, script work on uh, other properties and waiting for Jackie to be made and eventually got made. But during this whole time, he also needed to, you know, get a job. <laughs> You're thinking like Man, if you you break through your your scripts on the blacklist, uh, it gets picked up or optioned by Darren Aronofsky, uh, who then who was originally supposed to direct Jackie, but then turned into a producer and found a director for the movie during this whole time. And and again, he's he's working on the Maze Runner scripts. You think he's he's living the dream. He's living what you're what all of us are kind of striving for. But he got nervous because he kind of needed a, a a more steady job. And his old reality TV, um, the journalism, you know, life had come calling back and he ended up becoming the showrunner or, you know, heading up the Today Show. So it's really odd. So here you have the Today Show you know, being run by Oppenheim, who was, who was a screenwriter for the Maze Runner scripts as well as Jackie. And so when Jackie finally got made, they had a special screening and all the Today Show employees came to watch it. And then, so if you ever watch the Today Show, they always had this special thing on, on Jackie is because it was directly connected to the guy who's running the Today Show. And I just thought that was fascinating because whenever we think that somebody else is making it, they're living the dream, there's always like a flip side to it where you realize that sometimes they're working other jobs. Uh, you know, people that we hear make it through the film festivals where, oh my God, they got picked up. Their film got picked up. They must be living the dream. The reality is a lot of those people, uh, even documentary filmmakers, are making a living because they have to direct commercial products. The commercial ad world, you know, they need talented filmmakers uh, to, you know, run their their production. And so a lot of them, that's where they make their cash. So I thought it was really fascinating. If you want to learn more about Oppenheim's story, check out the podcast from KCRW's uh, The Business. Anyway, to increase your probability of breaking into the Hollywood ranks, just write something. No matter what age you are at, just write something. Number nine, create anything. You know, just keep making things. If you want to be a cinematographer, a director of photography, you just keep shooting. If you want to be an actor, you identify and connect with those people you deem as the most talented and you partner up with them so that you can get as many acting opportunities as possible. That may be community theaters, uh, theater uh, performances, small th- plays that you are putting on yourself, or if you're doing short films or student films, you want to line yourself up um, with as many talented people as possible. Again, the right type of in- influencers, because those talented people you know, have a better shot, a higher probability of making it through the industry than those that you find may not be as talented or don't have all their, you know, their shit together. <laughs> you know, a funny story is that before Jonah Hill was a star or a known actor, he saw a short film by the Duplass brothers, or Duplass brothers, if I'm saying that correctly, called This Is John. After screening this seven-minute film, I think it was at Sundance or at Slamdance, Jonah Hill was there just as a fan, just seeing all the films. You know, he exclaimed with enthusiasm to the Duplass brothers that he wanted to work with them on anything. Now, it was years later before they could actually work together, but this type of effort in knowing, you know, who you want to work with 
can increase your probability of success. If you go to the show notes of this episode, which is episode number 127, which is filmtrooper.com forward slash 127, you can actually see the seven minute film from the Duplass brothers called uh, This is John. Um, Anyhow, if you're in film school, then there's a good chance that at least one of your colleagues will make a break in the business. I mean, the film composer for La La Land was the director's roommate in college. So there are benefits of going to film school or some type of school where you have like-minded people striving for the same dream. There's a higher probability that one or several of you will actually break through. And if you nurture and um, keep those relationships strong, there's a good chance that you have a higher probability of breaking through as well. And if you want to be a writer, you know, you just keep writing. You know, one script won't cut it. Increase your probability of success by having at least three scripts written in the same genre you love the most. Bottom line is that we just have to keep making stuff, all of us. You can't increase your probability if you don't have anything to show. And lastly, probably a side thing is like learn to take rejection. By making stuff, you might get hazed online on social media, but you just got to keep plowing through to see if you can't increase your skill, increase the, the body of work you have. Because all you need is one yes. So you might get you know, rejected um, by all the film festivals or all managers or you know, trying to break into the, the business or, or just trying to you have something that you've created and you're trying to sell and like only a handful of people, people actually buy it. I mean, those are some form of rejection, but you got to keep going forward because all you need is one yes to keep going. And then maybe you know, that yes turns into more yeses and so on. So to increase your probability of moving forward with your career is to keep creating, keep making stuff, and accept rejection until you get the one yes. And the last thing, number 10, way to increase your probability is follow-up. You know, as we continue to put ourselves in situations where you might increase your probability of success, more opportunities will present themselves. One of the cardinal sins in any form of business is the failure to follow up. How many people have you met in the past that you hear later on made a break in the industry? And you might think to yourself, I remember that guy or I remember that girl. By that time, it's too late. If you reach out afterwards, you kind of look like a leech trying to suck off their success. It just kind of comes off inauthentic. However, imagine if you had followed up on a regular basis with no agenda. When that person had the break, you'd be in a much better position to deliver an earnest congratulations. And who knows? you could increase the probability of working with that particular person on a project together. So to increase your probability of success, consistently follow up with other people who are working in the industry that you deem valuable. Or create a system that you know that you have to contact or follow up with these people like once a month or once every three months, things, something like that. Again, these small efforts increase your probability, increase your luck. Now the conclusion... As you move through your filmmaking career, try and ask yourself, what can I do now to increase the probability of achieving my goals? When you actively ask this of yourself, you're not counting on luck to play a role. You're working towards increasing the probability of the eventual, your success as a filmmaker, whatever that definition might be. Here are two examples of low probability happening to people I've interviewed on the podcast. One is Bryce Fortner, the director of photography for Portlandia. He was actually a friend of mine that I met here in Portland, Oregon, and he was uh, back in episode numbers two and three. That's how far back. You might not even be like, what? I don't remember any of this. So the short story is that how did he get the job of being the cinematographer, the director of photography on Portlandia? 
Now, Bryce was fairly new to the Portland area, but had been developing his skill set as a videographer, a cinematographer, a director of photography, a photographer. And up here in Portland, what happens is that a lot of production just comes onto the city in the summertime because we have long sunny days with no rain and a lot of amazing, you know, locations to go to all within like an hour's distance from the, the Portland metro area. So when it came time that the IFC was going to make the, the pilot episode for Portlandia, they were looking for a local crew or somebody to shoot that had experience with like the Canon 5D, Canon Mark 5D, the, the DSLR revolution. And a lot of cinematographers or working videographers in the area had this experience, but a lot of them were booked on already, you know, uh, shows or other productions that were happening in the summertime because Portlandia actually happened uh, in production late in the summer. So they were kind of catching whoever might be available. Well, it just happened to be that Bryce was available because he hadn't worked in the industry in the Portland area long enough to get some get the opportunity to work on those projects that started early in the summer. So just because he was available, he had the meeting, they liked what his work, and they did the pilot. And then he was there for four or five seasons, and his career has completely taken off because he had worked on this show that took off, and including like getting a meeting with the J.J. Abrams company because they really enjoyed the look of, of the show. And that meeting and a bunch of other meetings led to like a, a management and representation, and that got him you know work around the world. So now he's busier than ever. But just because he was ready, he, he had the skill set, the talent to do so, but it was a low probability of that happening. Again, a low probability that the show would happen and it didn't start until late in the summer. Every, you know, everybody else was booked you know, working and he was sort of one of the only guys available and he got the opportunity. So these types of things happen. You're like, oh my gosh. Think about the person that might have been working on like an ad campaign early in the summer that missed out on that opportunity. Who, who knows? All these things could happen. Again, it's high probability versus low probability. The other story was Orn Pelly, the creative paranormal activity. Back in, if you want to listen to that interview, it's episode number 119. His story is crazy. There's so many things that had to happen and line up for that film to be success, to be the success it became, you know, to be this huge global phenomenon and, and start a whole franchise and it's amazing. So that whole episode, honestly, just re-listen to it, episode number 119. But if you think about it, it does feel like, oh my God, there were so many things luck had to play for that to become successful. But it's interesting if we look at the probability concept, if we really embrace this understanding of low probability, there was a low probability that uh, the right person working at the right company saw what he was doing and started this chain of events to happen, to get him to the place where eventually Paramount released the film. If he didn't have create anything, you know, if he didn't stick to his guns, then, then that story could be totally different. So we have to sort of embrace this concept of low probability. But if we can try to increase our probability, again, it's not luck, it's probability, we might have a chance of getting where we want to be um, faster, as well as being open to all these opportunities. If you hear the story about Bryce Fortner, uh, you know, he would just happen to be there. He, he was open to the opportunity and said yes. Listening to Oren Pelly's story, you might hear there are some things that he said no to. He had the conviction to say no in order to hold out for a theatrical premiere for Paranormal Activity. It's amazing. He could have, there was other deals being offered to him, but he said no because he had a different conviction. 
So that changed his probability. But it's all these things that can happen to all of us. So kind of a weird episode, I know, but uh, sometimes we always hear like, oh my gosh, you know, that was lucky or gosh, I just need some bit of luck. Instead of wishing for luck, we can try to will to increase our probability. So don't wish it, will it. And if you will it and you plan for it, we might have a better opportunity, all of us, to decide where we want to go. From my perspective, I don't live in Southern California anymore. I'm up here in Portland, Oregon. And I've made the choice of looking at what my definition of success is. And now I have to look at ways to increase my probability of success by planning some sort of uh, a game plan and, and having a, a plan of attack that gives me the best chance of the type of success I'm looking for. And you might go, well, what is that? Again, I just want to make these small uber micro budget films, release them online to an audience, not necessarily going to a film festival and looking for approval, even though that still might be in the cards. Um, but I might use that only as a marketing tool and try to build an audience and a following through the work I do. So the only way I can increase my probability is start making better stuff. And that's writing something, that's filming something, that's knowing how to market correctly, that's knowing how to serve a specific audience that I can create value in exchange for money. And that's kind of it. And I just develop those skill sets. And if I increase my probability because I'm working on those skill sets, I I may have a little bit of luck down the way (laughs) or a little bit of a higher probability of succeeding uh, than if I didn't. Again, I'm choosing not to necessarily play in the Hollywood world, but a lot of you may not be in that position. Maybe a lot of you want to be in that world. So you just be really clear about what your goals are and ask yourself, how can I increase my probability of success towards this goal? And that might change a lot of perspective on how you move forward in anything. And But be open to that little happy story that might happen. Something might happen. Just be open to the, um, the opportunities that might come to you because you're putting all this stuff into motion. I wish you luck. Thank you so much for uh, tuning into this episode. And please think about leaving a ratings and review over in iTunes for me. Just go to filmtrooper.com forward slash iTunes. That will take you to the iTunes page. And any ratings and review would be very, very helpful in spreading the word about this particular podcast. And of course, don't go away empty-handed because I have a free gift for you over at freegearguide.com. It's an equipment list of everything I use to make a feature film for $500 without a crew. Again, that's at freegearguide.com. Thanks so much for tuning in, and I will see you next time. Film Trooper. Filmmaking freedom for the independent.